Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Hello, and welcome to Book Dreams, the podcast for everyone who loves books and has ever wondered about them. I'm Julie Sternberg, author of a number of children's books, including Like Pickle Juice on a Cookie and its sequels, and... Drum roll, please. Yay! <laughs> Summer of Stolen Secrets, a middle grade novel that's coming out in May. Yay! Again! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Eve Yohalem. I'm also a children's book author. My books include The Truth According to Blue and Cast Off, The Strange Adventures of Petra de Winter and Brom Broen. In each episode of this podcast, we consider a book-related question. And in this episode, we're going to talk about what makes a good book book recommendation. We got the idea for this episode during our last episode, which was about heartwarming bookstore stories. We were talking to Valinda Miller, who owns Turning Pages Bookshop in South Carolina, and her best friend, Aralee, runs the store with her, and she was talking about how they love recommending books to each other. So I'm very excited about a cozy episode where we recommend books to each other. It's like Christmas in February. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Christmas, birthday, all wrap, wrapped up into one. It's so exciting. <laughs> but before we get into it, I have to confess something to you. Mm. I have a lot of ambivalence about receiving book recommendations. Yeah. Do you as well? Well, there's always the pressure, like, what if I don't read it? Yes. What if I don't like it if I yes. do read it? Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Okay. I'm um, going to give you carte blanche right now, by the way. You don't have to read a single one of these. I was I going to give you the same <laughs> carte blanche. <laughs> okay, good. We're totally good. on the same page. Fabulous. On the other hand, what's better than telling someone you love about a book you've loved that you think they will love? I know. I'm thinking now of my father-in-law, who's a who I adore and who is a fabulous reader. He's a voracious reader, and he has been recommending many books, but including Shakespeare in a Divided America, which he recommended long before the New York Times last year put it on its list of best books of the year. So I have it in a stack, and my daughter just read it, and I still haven't read it, and I'm feeling bad about that. Yeah, I do that all the time. Big stacks of books I feel very guilty about not reading. <laughs> so yes, we're absolving each other Good. of all guilt. Good. Okay. <laughs> Forever, by the way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what factors do you think about when you're recommending books? That's a good question. I try not to just think about books I've loved because, you know, you and I, for example, we don't love all the same books as much no. as it pains me yeah. to think about that. <laughs> um, so I try to think specifically about the person. And then, of course, I have to tell you, Julie, this was really hard because, A, I usually tell you when I think of a book that I <laughs> think you'd like. And B, you've read more than I have. So coming up with things that I think you may not have read was tricky. Um, mm. But those are the things I think about. What would this person like? And do I think they've probably read it before or not? That kind of a thing. Here's a big question for you. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend a book that you didn't like, but you thought the other person would like? Totally. Hmm. Would you? I think I would hesitate. <laughs> if I really didn't like, I know that I should. I know that logically it makes no sense not to. 
But how do you phrase the recommendation? You're like, look, you would like this book. I don't like it, but you would like it. <laughs> My family makes fun of me because I always do this thing. If I drink spoiled milk or something, or I taste something horrible, I was like, ugh, taste this. It's disgusting. You know? <laughs> right, right, exactly. But but suppose, for example, that you weren't that into fantasy, but you had a friend who was really into fantasy and you read a fantasy novel and it didn't do it for you, but you thought to yourself, but I can see that maybe this is a really good fantasy book, you might say to a friend, it's not my thing, but I actually think you would really love it. Yeah, I can do it. I think I can do it. <laughs> it's not the same though. It's not the same as being like, oh, I love this book and I know you're going to love it too. No. Speaking of which, speaking okay. of which, let's get to it. Do you mind? No, do I mind? I'm excited. Lay one <laughs> okay. on me. Okay. I'm, I'm going to actually lay two on you. So I was thinking not just about what you would like, but what you would like right now. Mm. And I know you've been having trouble reading. So I decided my first category would be slender, lovely reads, oh. like a catnap, like yes. brief and revitalizing. Oh, I love <laughs> all of those descriptive terms that you're using. <laughs> <laughs> Slender, lovely catnap books. Okay. Right. right. And we should just be clear to our listeners that we have not run these by each other. So it's very possible that you have read both of these books, in which case, reread them. They're yeah, really totally. Okay. <laughs> okay. The first is Elizabeth von Arnhem's The Enchanted April. No, I haven't read it. <laughs> okay. It's a small book. Mm -hmm. It's about three women who don't really know each other and they're each unhappy in their own ways and they desperately need to leave dreary London and they find an ad for a beautiful villa for lease in Italy <gasps> and they find joy there in unexpected ways. Oh. It's so pleasant. And I feel like even though it's about Italy... The fact that they found a house for let, you know, yes. like you could actually envision doing that, even though it's COVID. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. <laughs> so. Well, and it's reminding me of the BBC series, The Durrells in Corfu, which I watched with Maya at the beginning of quarantine. Yes. And I loved more than words could say. So <laughs> It is reminiscent of that. And if you haven't seen the Enchanted April movie, then after you read the book, you're in for another treat because it's a wonderful movie. Okay. Thank okay. you. You're very welcome. That's the first. Second, along the same lines, is J.L. Carr's A Month in the Country. I have also not read that. Oh, okay. Fantastic. This is a real gem. They both are. But even less happens <laughs> in A Month <laughs> in the Country, <laughs> believe it or not. Sounds so um, familiar. <laughs> yes, exactly. So in this one, a World War I survivor whose marriage has broken up arrives in a remote English village and he's tasked with restoring a medieval mural in a local church that people think might be valuable, but it, my recollection is that nobody really knows what's going on under there fully. So he spends his days absorbed in resurrecting this painting and he befriends the villagers and of course he's restored to his life. It's very hard to make this sound compelling because, you know, there's no hook. Well, no, there is actually, because the visual art part of it is a huge hook for right, me. I'm, right. I'm really excited about the mural. I, oh, yes. You'll so, love it. You'll love it. So I'm super excited. I already feel like you've given me a gift just by describing these books. <laughs> <laughs> it's relaxing just to hear about them. I feel yes, like. totally, totally. <laughs> 
Okay, so the pressure's on. I think, and God, I hope I'm not wrong, but I think you haven't read Wallace Stegner. I have read Crossing to Safety. Ah, okay, okay. For some <laughs> reason, I thought you hadn't read any Wallace Stegner. And his books are definitely among my Desert Island books. You know, if I had to bring only a couple of books with me, Angle of Repose and Crossing to Safety would definitely be on them. Did you enjoy Crossing to Safety? Very much. Okay, Very much. okay good. So, <laughs> well, I won't go into depth about Crossing to Safety because you've read it. But Angle of Repose is probably his more lauded book. It won the Pulitzer. It is profound and beautiful and quiet and so, so real and memorable. I rarely reread books. And this is a book that I reread every decade or so that changes for me every decade. The main character is an historian, Lyman Ward, and he is wheelchair bound and he's telling the story of his grandparents and their marriage. And this is going back into the 19th century. It's a deep, deep plunge into character. And I know that you love character driven books and it's complicated and nuanced. There are no villains in this story. Hmm. His grandmother is a cultured New York visual artist who in her New York life is part of a community of intellectual artistic people. His grandfather is a good man, a mining engineer, not an unintelligent man, but not intellectual in the same way. And they go West because that's where he has work. And she always expects that she'll come back, but she doesn't. And there's love in the marriage and there's respect in the marriage, but there's also, you know, very real and painful compromise and regret. And I wouldn't call this book depressing in any way. I just think it's deep. And I also think that Wallace Stegner is a man who writes women really well and so wonderful to read just in every way. Oh, it sounds lovely. I can't wait. Oh, good, Thank good, you. good. Yeah. I think you would really like it. And oh, then the great. other book, this is nonfiction, and it's called The Island at the Center of the World by Russell Shorto. Have you read this? Do you know no. about this? Okay. No. So much fun. Oh, good. Every single page is fascinating. It's the history of the Dutch in New York. And the Dutch were only in New York for 40 years during the 17th century. But once you read this book, you realize that New York is still, we are a Dutch city. We are capitalists. We are, relatively speaking, tolerant. You learned fun things like Greenwich Village was a tobacco farm during this time. You learned about Stuyvesant, who was a complete son of a bitch, but great stories to go with him. Historians quibble about it, and I'm not 100% sure what their issues are. I don't know enough to know you know, <laughs> what the problems are. But it goes deep into Brooklyn history and it goes deep into the Native American presence that was there. And it's just super fascinating. And it's the city where you live. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Because I didn't grow up in the city, so I'm behind everyone else. Well, by which I mean my husband and my children. When, uh, <laughs> it comes to, I have no education in it, so I love that. Well, and I I would be willing to bet your husband and children may not know all that much about this time period, because who does? You know, You might spend a few sentences on it in school, this Dutch period, but it's not something that most of us go deeply into. And it is really, really interesting. So I'm going to know more than they do. Yes. So there's that. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> okay. I'm a little nervous about my next recommendation because I haven't read these books in a while, mm -hmm. but I liked them when I read them a while ago. And I know you like history. I know you like fantasy. 
So I'm wondering whether you ever read Mary Stewart's books about King Arthur and Merlin. Yeah, I read them years ago when I was a kid and loved them. Yeah. But haven't read them since. Well, I'll just describe them for folks who don't know. The first one was my favorite, as I recall. It's called The Crystal Cave, and it's really about Merlin as a young boy. It's about his childhood and how he grows into his power, and then how he meets Arthur, who ultimately becomes, you know, this great king. I loved it as a kid, and maybe it's because you see these mythical characters as kids growing up, but I don't think it was intended as a kid's book. No, I don't think so. I haven't read them, like I said, since I was a kid, but just hearing that description made me realize how well I remember the book. And I think that says something, right? You know, I'm remembering this after many decades, the book is still sticking with me. Yeah. My next one, I recently recommended Gingerbread to you by Helen Oyeyemi. Yes. I recommended it to you for very specific reasons, but I actually think that you would prefer a different novel of hers, Boy Snowbird, which is a kind of a, a very loose retelling of the Snow White story. It gets at beauty and jealousy, motherhood, stepmotherhood. The reason I think you would love it, I mean, first of all, Helen Oyeyemi, her language is always surprising and it's an easier read than Gingerbread, not that you need an easy read, but it's a more traditional narrative. So it's just kind of more enjoyable that way. But also, she reminds me, Helen Oyeyemi, of you. In what? A, in a certain way. I know. <laughs> it might be surprising. I love that, but great. Because her, I would describe her writing as a blend of kind of keen, razor-sharp intelligence and deep, deep heart. Aww. And that reminds me of you. Oh, so that's the you, nicest thing anyone has ever said. Well, right? it's to me. true. It's true. So I think you would like Boy Snowbird. It's oh, very powerful. Goodness. Okay. I definitely have to read it now. That's so No, nice. you don't. Oh, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> but I want to. Okay. Okay. My next one is a real outlier. You've never mentioned liking science fiction before. I don't think... That's one of your go-to genres. But have you read House of the Scorpion by Nancy Farmer? No, I have not read that one. Okay. Well, this one, in 2002, it won the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. It was a Newbery Honor Book and a Prince Honor Book. It is so gripping, so compelling that I am on the edge of my seat just remembering it. I feel worried about the main character. Not in a bad way, just in a like consumed way. The characters work. The ideas are interesting. There's heart. I mean, it's so good. The main character is named Mateo, Mm -hmm. and he was not born. He was harvested. The cells were split in a Petri dish, and then he was placed in the womb of a cow. (laughs) I love it already. (laughs) And then he was born. But he's not himself. He's a clone of an overlord. El Patron. And everyone thinks of Mateo as a monster, except for El Patron, who thinks he's great. Okay. But Mateo, although he is a clone, he struggles to understand what's happening, who he is. El Patron has a power-hungry family. They're sinister, and they all threaten him. Hmm. And he's got to figure out what his relationship is with his, I want to say father, but it's not really his father, his clone. Yeah. I'm telling you, it is such a rich book. I really think you'll like it. Okay. Well, my next book for you, I'm deeply afraid. I'm almost certain that 
you will have read it. But I wanted to mention it on the off-off chance you haven't read it. Yes. Have you read Elegance of the Hedgehog by Muriel Barbary? No. <gasps> yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. Joe and Maya loved it, and I read it mm. on their recommendation, and I loved it too. There are two main characters. So one of the main characters is a cranky, misanthropic, ugly, unloved, middle-aged woman. Oh, say no more. (laughs) (laughs) So you see why I thought of you. (laughs) And she's the concierge, which is what we think of as the super of a fancy Parisian apartment building. And the other main character is a highly precocious 12-year-old girl who lives in the building and who has decided for completely logical reasons that she's going to commit suicide on her next birthday. Eve? Yes. I'm sorry. I I have to go read this book. I know. Stop recording. There's a 12 year old troubled girl and a cranky middle aged mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, there's something I know. magical about that combination for me. That's yes. Just, yeah. And as you, I'm sure, are expecting, their stories do converge. But I want to give you one warning, which is their stories don't converge until maybe two thirds of the way through. And I didn't realize that before I started. So I was a little distracted thinking, well, they've got to be meeting soon. They've got to be meeting soon. So I want to manage your expectations to just kind of sink into their individual stories for the majority of the book. And then eventually they do meet because they're living in the same building. Good to But know. oh my God, these two characters, <laughs> it's just a great, great, great book. Yay, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Read it. <laughs> okay, my next recommendation for you I'm going to start similarly, which is, I'm sure you've probably read it, but I, I want to recommend it because I think you'd like it. Okay. And it's Pachinko by Menjin Lee. I did read it and I did enjoy it, but tell everyone else just in case they haven't read it. Okay. So Pachinko tells a story that crosses four generations of an ethnic Korean family. I think it starts off in Korea in the early 20th century. Korea is occupied by Japan. Then it moves to Japan, and it keeps going through World War II to the late 1980s. It's just a sweeping family saga. It's smart and interesting, and it deserves to be a classic. It's really good. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And I loved the setting, too, which was something I knew very little about the Japanese occupation of Korea. And during that time period, really, it was great. I'm glad you brought it up. Okay, last one. Also nonfiction. Mm. It is a book that's totally up my alley. So it's going to sound like, oh, I'm just recommending a book that I would love. But I think you would love because it's so much fun. And it's not the kind of thing you would ordinarily read, but I think you would really enjoy it. And it's very short. Mm. So it could just be like a fun diversion to read now. And that's Longitude by Dava Sobel. Do you know about this book? I've heard of this book. Did she write something about like Galileo? Yes. She also wrote a book about Galileo. She writes nonfiction about science and scientists. Yes. So this one, up until the 18th century, sailors had no way to measure longitude while they were at sea, which was a very, very, very big deal. I cannot overstate how problematic that was, because if you couldn't measure longitude, you had no way to pinpoint where you were, (laughs) which is why sailors often ended up in you know, the absolute wrong direction or, you know, finding continents they didn't think existed and thinking they were different continents and things like that. 
Yeah. Well, you know that you're reminding me of our street addresses episode, which we just posted, but so much worse when you're in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So the British government offered a prize of 20,000 pounds, you know, a fortune in the 18th century. And it was open to anyone, anyone who could solve this problem to figure out how to measure longitude at sea. And I'm going to spoil who won it because you'll know this going into it. The guy who won was named John Harrison. He was poor. He was an uneducated clockmaker. He solved the problem and he won the prize. And as you can imagine, all the fancy scientists and academics were, you know, doing their best to push him to the side. And this whole competition is really fun. I just, I would file it under the category of something you probably don't know a lot about. And it's just fun to learn about it. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, this was so fun. Oh, yes. <laughs> Let's just keep doing this every Every week. episode. <laughs> yes. We'll get so old that we'll be circling back to rereading the ones we recommended in the first episode. Yeah, exactly. But for now, I think that's it for this episode of the Book Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast and think someone else would too, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Be sure to let us know if there's a book-related topic you've wondered about, and we'll try looking into it in a future episode. You can reach us for that reason or any other at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at bookdreamspod and on Instagram at bookdreamspodcast. You can buy books for your friends at your local independent bookstore or online at bookshop.org. Many thanks to our associate producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find Eve at eveyohallam.com and me at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Love, come listen to book dreams with Julie and me.